failing to understand that the first come first serve principle uh, does not work in a pandemic like this uh, can lead really catastrophic uh, consequences. Hello, I'm Catherine de Volder. This is Thinking Out Loud, conversations with leading philosophers from around the world on topics that concern us all. This is a special edition on ethical questions raised by the corona pandemic. In this video, I talk to Dr. Marco Vergano, intensive care specialist in Turin, Northern Italy. Dr. Vergano is also first author of the recently published Clinical Ethics Recommendations for Allocating Intensive Care Treatments When Resources Are Limited. In other words, recommendations about who to give access to potentially life-saving treatments and who to let die you you worked during the night so you, yeah and i'm and working tonight as well as yeah, well so i'm between two two night shifts yes. yeah wow. yeah and i slept one hour after lunch today oh. <laughs> well, it's okay thank you very much for um giving up some of your very precious time for the thinking out loud video series um, I realize Thank you. very well how uh, little time of work you have. Maybe to start with, could you describe a little bit the current circumstances in your hospital? The situation is changing almost every day, okay. uh, for sure, every week. We started uh, a little less than one month ago to admit the first uh, uh, severe cases of COVID-19 uh, mm -hmm. uh, patients, so in my ICU, and now after... Uh, uh, a month, uh, uh, it looks like really, uh, uh, some, some commentators, they, they say that uh, one month of uh, COVID life uh, equals to probably a couple of years of, uh, of normal life because you learn a lot of things and things uh, change so quickly uh, that it's really, uh, when you uh, think about uh, your previous two weeks, uh, it looks like re really very remote uh, time in the past. When we issued this recommendation with the Italian Society of Anesthesia and Intensive Care at the beginning of March, uh, the situation was already an emergency in some uh, so-called red zones in uh, Lombardia, in the areas around Milan, but still was uh, manageable in Piemonte, where I live, in Turin. Uh, now we are very uh, under pressure, uh, and uh, we, we worked a lot uh, with the really huge efforts in order to increase our uh, ICU beds capacity and also uh, hospital uh, ordinary ward beds capacity. Uh, but still, we are admitting uh, more and more patients every day. Uh, but the situation still is uh, uh, not so um, difficult and uh, uh, compared to Lombardia and compared to, uh, uh, especially with the, some hospitals in some uh, provinces in Lombardia. So you mentioned the recommendations. Can you give okay. us a, a little bit more um, yeah, insight the, the, on these recommendations? Well, it's a pretty short document okay. and uh, with an introduction and then 15 uh, short recommendations. So just a few pages uh, because also our aim was uh, to, uh, to develop an, a tool that could be easily accessed by colleagues uh, in a time where... Uh, uh, your personal time is, um, is really very limited. Uh, we produced this uh, document uh, in just a few days, uh, and it was not an easy process. Uh, very short uh, in time, but a very, I mean, uh, a lot of discussion and uh, some disagreement uh, because, uh, for example, um, professors and people and colleagues uh, in Central and Southern Italy uh, really didn't grasp at that time uh, the severity and, uh, of the situation in Lombardia. 
So and and this uh, now I realize thing? that it's happening everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Uh, that, what, what were sort of the major disagreements? Do you remember these? Like the what? major disagreement is yeah. that uh, they, well, uh, uh, some colleagues say that, yeah, they're probably well written and uh, we agree in general with principles, but uh, uh, it, it's a matter of opportunity because if we issue a document like this now, uh, this can uh, depict a, a more catastrophic uh, um, uh, situation than, than the real situation. Uh, but then af after just a couple of weeks, uh, all of this uh, sort of, uh, I would say, negationism of the mm -hmm. crisis and the severity um, really became more and more yeah. silent and disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. I have a colleague that mm, he wrote an article comparing this uh, sort of negationism that still uh, is present in Italy in some uh, environments and settings uh, compared to uh, the plague in Milan in 1620. Mm -hmm that uh, yeah. Alessandro Manzoni described in Promessi Sposi, his famous novel, and where, where the authorities in Milan uh, were negating the existence of the flag, uh, even after establishing this uh, Lazzaretti, and neighborhoods uh, where uh, thousands of people were dying because of the flag. But right. still they used different names because uh, they were scared of uh, admitting that, that, the, that the city was uh, really... Uh, hardly hit uh, by, the, by the plug. What did the recommendation say? How to decide between patients? Uh, presumably it's not on a first come, first serve basis. No, that's exactly what we wanted to avoid because mm -hmm. uh, an usual attitude uh, in admitting patients to the ICUs in a pandemic like this uh, would result in saturating immediately uh, your ICU with uh, very old and frail people who are the most vulnerable, who are the first uh, who get sick with the severe form of COVID-19 uh, interstitial pneumonia. Uh, and you are probably able to keep them uh, alive for many days or for weeks uh, because we have a lot of uh, know-how and uh, technology mm -hmm. and uh, skills in order mm -hmm. to do this. But it's very unlikely that uh, those people will survive to the ICU uh, because they are too severe and because we learned that uh, this uh, severe form of COVID-19 uh, is really deadly for uh, uh, elderly, frail people. And while you uh, keep them alive without reasonable hope of recovery and survival, uh, the risk is that many more people with much greater chances of survival will die outside of your ICU door. You have to um, understand that you are responsible in a pandemic, uh, not only for your single patient that you admitted, uh, but also for everyone else that is uh, outside of your door and that uh, probably is, uh, will not receive uh, an intensive care treatment and a life-saving treatment. Mm -hmm. These 15 recommendations, uh, uh, they set some uh, triage criteria for the admission mm -hmm. to the ICU and also for the withdrawal of life-sustaining treatment. The principles used are basically the same over uh, some past documents by, by our society. Yeah. And a different threshold. Okay. So we stated that uh, a combination of uh, uh, functional status, uh, uh, age, chronic illness, uh, and frailty in general, uh, combined with uh, other steps like, uh, um, for example, the surprising question, you know, asking yourself or your colleagues, uh, uh, would you be surprised if your patient, if your patient uh, would be dead in just a few weeks or a few months? 
just as a trigger of your uh, uh, approach and uh, your decision making process. And uh, so we use this basically these principles that are shared in uh, in the medical literature uh, all over the world, and just with the uh, with uh, with the, uh, um, with more focus on the need to be very stringent in your criteria, and and to and to focus on the shortage and uh, under uh, this exceptional uh, uh, shortage of mm-hmm. ICU resources in this uh, current pandemic. So, but the principles are the same. So, yeah. many critics of our recommendations uh, uh, criticize uh, as uh, and accuse uh, as of being discriminatory, unconstitutional, uh, ageist. Uh, without realizing that uh, modern medicine and uh, intensive care medicine in general is uh, already full of, uh, uh, of uh, priorities and uh, and uh, prioritization of patients, uh, transplant medicine uh, and uh, access to emergency departments. Uh, what, what changes here is just uh, the general framework and uh, and the scale of this, uh, because this not does not. Uh, uh, involve uh, just uh, a few recipients uh, of uh, uh, life-saving uh, organ transplants, uh, but but maybe uh, a large part of the population. So yeah. uh, the criteria are the same, uh, but uh, but the, the threshold flexible. could be a little different and is flexible and must be flexible. Uh, and uh, the people involved are uh, many more. Uh, what I would like to underline is that uh, uh, it is. Uh, a clinical decision before being an ethical decision, because uh, if you think that uh, that the, uh, admission to the ICU is uh, uh, inappropriate, because uh, that patient uh, has really uh, unreasonable chances of survival, uh, it is not a, a value judgment, or it is not deciding uh, to save uh, uh, just a young patient because uh, you think his life. Uh, is worth more than the life of an elderly patient. It's just because he has much more chances of survival from this uh, severe mm-hmm. form of COVID-19 pneumonia. Uh, and also, uh, uh, not only he has much more chances of survival, but uh, uh, all things equal, uh, you save uh, much more life years. So I, I know this is a hard uh, uh, <laughs> statement, but... Uh, uh, failing to understand that the first come first serve principle uh, does not work in a pandemic like this uh, can lead really catastrophic uh, consequences. And so, does age play uh, yeah. a more important role in this pandemic? Yeah, yeah it plays a more important role, uh, uh, especially for for the characteristics of the of this pandemic, because uh, it, it could be different. For example, now we know that. Uh, uh, many children just get sick and remain asymptomatic, uh, get infected and remain asymptomatic, uh, or uh, experience just a sort of mild flu, uh, and also teenagers, for example. But we know that it's uh, almost uh, deadly for the elderly uh, if uh, the severity of the disease reaches this uh, ARDS, acute respiratory distress syndrome, uh, um, clinical uh, stage. Yeah. So you, ha- you can have a Elderly people with COVID-19 that stay at home and do not require oxygen. And in that case, they deserve uh, all the treatment uh, they, 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 they receive. But uh, if uh, their respiratory failure 
worsens uh, and they need oxygen and then they need, if it worsens again, they need uh, non-invasive ventilation. Mm -hmm. And that if, even if non-invasive ventilation is not enough, uh, probably an endotractive intubation would be inappropriate because it could be just uh, prolonging their uh, agonal yeah. phase and then the dying process. So to be clear, it's not age in itself, but it's because age no, in yeah. this pandemic is associated yeah. Yeah. with like a yeah. very low yeah. chance of survival. Yeah. 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 This was one of the main misunderstandings of our recommendations uh, yeah. in the media and then, yeah, in general yeah. inspiration. It's a bit of a controversial question, I think, within among ethicists about whether healthcare workers, uh, doctors and nurses and so mm -hmm. on, should get priority access to um, potentially life-saving resources, because after all, they, they are needed to keep okay. other patients um, alive. And yeah, from what I read, a lot of healthcare workers um, are already uh, ill themselves. So it is, yeah. you are at so risk. So of course, uh, yeah, we, we are at risk. Uh, of course, we have a lot of exposure mm -hmm. to the virus. And, uh, and uh, we cannot <laughs> do anything else because that's our job. And uh, I, I think we should get a priority for testing and uh, that uh, the safety of the healthcare staff in hospitals should be a priority for hospitals. I have to admit that, of course, uh, uh, this situation uh, this is really heavy sometimes every day because we have exhausting shifts and we doubled our shifts uh, and we have a lot of, uh, of course, uh, we have uh, an emotional burden uh, and colleagues that uh, sometimes really collapse and they, they need support by psychologists. And there are psychologists that probably will need support by mm. their colleagues because uh, we, yeah. we will need psychologists for psychologists. Uh, and uh, when you treat your colleagues in the ICU or in high dependency units, colleagues uh, that of your age and uh, that were working with you the previous week, uh, sometimes you are scared and you think that maybe your roles could be easily exchanged in just mm -hmm. a couple of days. Uh, but with this strengthened a lot of our connections, our sense of belonging to a community of healthcare mm -hmm. workers and uh, ICU specialists and doctors, nurses. Uh, and uh, even if we don't have uh, an official priority, um, everyone knows that uh, if one of us gets sick mm -hmm. and needs uh, an endotracheal intubation, uh, for example, we'll remain uh, in, in our hospital. So we will yeah. try to do that extra bed and, uh, and uh, just for us because this yeah. gives you a sort of safety net, not only because you, access, you have access to a bed, an ICU bed, but also because... Uh, you know that your, your colleagues that are your friends and, and in a certain sense your brothers uh, yeah. will take care of you. So And we will not be transferred to yeah. another hospital 200 kilometers away yeah. from your hospitals right. because our hospitals are becoming a, a, a sort of a house. In, yeah. in their home. Their home. Because you, you mean because month. you spend so much time So much time. There. And I have colleagues that uh, try to protect their families and so they right. do not even go home between okay. shifts. So oh, it, right. it becomes uh, your home uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. in wow. all senses. Yeah. That's tough. It is one of the less criticized recommendations, but I think one is becoming one of the more, most uh, important things uh, is, that, uh, is the, um, the focus on the, uh, on the moral injury of uh, healthcare workers, uh, moral distress, uh, 
and uh, burnout, not only physical exhaustion, but also emotional and uh, uh, moral exhaustion. Uh, because uh, when you have to face uh, hard allocate, allocating choices for uh, many weeks uh, or for months, uh, of course, uh, you will need uh, support because uh, you will uh, remember a lot of faces of patients uh, that you were not able uh, to treat. And uh, so this uh, becomes a real burden. And that makes the difference also. I, I got a little bit angry with some commentators in Italy because... Uh, I think there's a real, real, real difference between uh, some armchair uh, uh, philosophers and uh, and not being an no, no, no. I mean, not in your case because uh, not because you are interested in the, the in the reasons of the recommendations, but uh, people that that started criticizing and with very harsh criticism and with really venomous uh, words and terms. Without even uh, uh, the interest in in uh, in asking our reasons, uh, uh, that is really uh, difficult to bear. Uh, and because uh, the, the main difference in that we try to reflect on these principles uh, and the treating these patients at the same time, and it's not the same as just reflecting on the principles and then having someone else. Nobody of us would be. Would like to be, you know, in a trolley problem scenario with the trolley yeah. with the lever in your hand. Exactly. Uh, and the, the people that negate, they were still negationists of the severity of this uh, uh, epidemic. Uh, they, they they didn't want to make a choice, uh, not pull the lever or let the trolley just right. go. Uh, they just refused uh, that that you could be there. So uh, yeah. just but refused yeah. the idea that you could uh, be in a position of uh, having to make uh, these choices. It's like they're denying that there's a scarcity yeah, of denying, healthcare yeah, denying resources. The existence. Yeah, Whereas that is just a yeah. simple fact. I mean, yeah. That, yeah, that is course. a fact. Or trying that to is... find uh, yes, unrealistic solutions. Like, for yeah. example, uh, no, let's build or buy 5,000 ventilators. Right. Because the people do not understand that uh, a life-saving treatment is not just a bed and a ventilator uh, and a couple of syringe pumps. Uh, you need uh, skilled professionals. They do not get sick, and they 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 uh, they are able to treat you for uh, for weeks. And uh, and you you cannot uh, just uh, build these resources, human resources, from scratch, just in a few days. So uh, that's what also was misunderstood by many commentators. Yeah, currently any support because you as doctors and the nurses. You're all working basically around the clock almost. Yeah, so almost. It yeah. seems like now there's not even time probably to like go and see a psychologist. Or, I mean, it seems like it's all building up. Yeah, we and are living afterwards. in a bubble now. Yeah, and, uh, we, are, we are all all hoping uh, yeah. to, that, 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 that all this will really end pretty soon. And then we will have to, <laughs> we will need a sort of... Uh, Huge uh, debriefing and uh, and to heal also our uh, really emotional and moral uh, yeah. injury after this pandemic. I also wanted to just ask how you feel when you see people not complying with the rules of social distancing because you're in the middle of the crisis and I can imagine you walk on the street or you're in your no. car or something and then yeah, you group. I have people. to recognize that nine. During, uh, I think that there's a good compliance to this okay. containment and social distancing measures. 
so we cannot complain. Uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, still there were a lot of people that uh, used to underestimate uh, the severity. Now people understood. I think you, uh, it's very difficult to enforce uh, these measures at the beginning uh, of the epidemic surge mm -hmm. because uh, they are very unpopular and people mm -hmm. do not realize. So it's difficult to, uh, to just to force them to stay at home if they do not understand uh, exactly what is happening and, and how bad is the situation. Uh, of course, uh, many of my colleagues, they get angry of people just uh, go, that go running uh, in the parks uh, or go for a walk. And so this stay at home uh, has become a sort of mantra. And, uh, uh, but I think that uh, things are working. I'm not sure they will be able, the government and the, the authorities will be able to implement these measures for uh, a very long uh, period of time. So people are expecting just this uh, quarantine to end uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, but probably we will need to, to, to keep it for at least a couple of months, probably. So I'm yeah. not sure. There's a lot of uncertainty about uh, the future. Do you think uh, Italy and other countries will be um, more prepared for um, <laughs> the next time there will be? For the next one, pandemic. yeah, for sure. We are learning things uh, week after week. Clinical treatments, uh, experimental drugs, uh, and uh, ventilation strategies. Uh, yeah. We are sharing a lot of information these days. We have weekly webinars uh, we have networks with colleagues uh, from China, United States, yeah. uh, UK, everywhere. And because we are learning very quickly. And this changed completely the speed also of the sharing of medical uh, information and scientific information. Yeah. We are learning a lot for the next one. I don't know. I, I think that this COVID-19 pandemic really changed a lot of things uh, yeah. uh, deeply. Also in people people around me and myself yeah uh, I, I really felt uh, so uh, uh, really so bad after this criticism that uh, with a couple of colleagues we strengthened uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a joke but uh, our uh, the, the president of our society she's a professor uh, almost retired just about to retire so uh, and uh, and I had a lot of uh, distance from her uh, a couple of months ago of course because uh, she's and and uh, and now we exchange emails where uh, we are a sort of uh, uh, like in uh, <laughs> Tolkien's uh, uh, how do you say Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. We are the Fellowship of the Ring, and uh, she <laughs> her signature in the emails is Galadriel, uh, president of the society, and I am Frodo because I carried the, the ring for three weeks, and uh, I have colleagues who are Aragorn, and uh, I, I mean that this strengthened our. Uh, yeah. really uh, yeah. relationship yeah. and uh, and also our I think our characters because now we yeah. uh, we are really we, I will be heard uh, by in a couple of weeks uh, by the National uh, Committee of Bioethics in Italy okay. that remains a sort of a, of a, a castle like a, in, in, really in a sort of filter bubble because they really do not even uh, acknowledge the fact that our recommendations uh, uh, were cited uh, all over the world, probably sometimes criticized, but uh, and, but they just uh, a lot of those uh, conservative members of the committee, uh, they just uh, do not want, even want to recognize the fact that uh, we issued those recommendations. So uh, I, I I read a couple of emails uh, and they, they they there are people there in there in the committee that refuse to participate in the discussion, 
because they say that our, our principles and our criteria are a new form of uh, uh, defining uh, uh, untermensch, like right. Nazis. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, so that, yeah. that, this is the level of the discussion in, in the, those places. It's like they're I mean, it's living incredible. in a different world, like a bubble. Yeah, in a different yeah, world. Like, yeah. yeah, like a bubble, like a, yeah. like, sort of a, like a fairy tale. The plug, where, the plug in, yeah, exactly. like the plug in Milan yeah. for, for, yeah. for centuries ago. I was scared at the beginning, yeah. but now I'm really, I, I just, I'd like to be there tomorrow because I feel much stronger than one month ago. Yeah. So because I, I think I have good reasons to... No, because we just want to save lives. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you're uh, and there. there are people that yeah, and there are people there that say it's better uh, two people uh, dead than one homicide. But in this pandemic, yeah. that would also mean yeah, this pandemic like it means probably thousand people. people yeah, 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 or like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, yes, yeah. Also because the numbers are uh, totally yeah. underreported. When you read that we have one thousand deaths in Italy okay. per day, it is then. probably between uh, four and eight thousand. Because we don't have enough testing Test. capacity. You test the uh, living patients, not the uh, dead patients. And, uh, and a lot of patients in the red zones are dying outside the hospitals because yeah. they, they don't have even get an ambulance. Or, right. uh, so the, just so the, this is what happening. So, yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on this. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I hope the situation in Italy will improve very yeah. soon. And I also wanted to say how extremely grateful we all are of course for all the work that you do and i'm sure the people oh, watching I, this video will be <laughs> extremely thank you so much grateful yeah. i hope, well. hope that the situation in the uk will not reach uh, yeah, uh, the so intensity too. and the severity of our yeah so thank really thank hope you. yeah thank you yeah okay thank you very much <laughs> If you liked this video, don't forget to subscribe to the Practical Ethics channel and the Thinking Out Loud Facebook page.